Taking his talents to Las Vegas yep. for the next few days, taking some time off, well deserved. So we thought we'd get a podcast in before he heads out of town. We are going to talk all black and gold today. Talk a lot of crew on this one. Uh, we will talk with Pat Murphy, formerly of MassiveReport.com, now also of Bucknuts.com. I don't know is Pat still writing for Mass I Report? I think Pat is still doing something said, for Because he had said he, yeah, or not Bucknuts, sorry, Mass, Mass Report. Yeah, because he had said he was backing away, and then I, I think you can't ever get that guy out of there. Anyway, we'll talk with him as a little bit. As much as you try to get him out of there, he just won't go away. <laughs> you drag him back in, yeah. Now we'll talk with Pat. He obviously has uh, watched this rivalry between the crew and Toronto for quite a while. He also has a scorching hot take about Michael Bradley, which we'll get into. Well, and I thought we we argue on the internet so much as a society, yeah. and you and me and Pat have gone back and forth on different things on Twitter over this Michael Bradley thing. So I thought let's have an actual discussion among actual friends in real life, as opposed to what it looks like on the internet, where right. we're just sending. Twitter, 210 character messages back and forth to each other, whatever Twitter is now. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. But let's start with the big you know, headline here. The crew win over Toronto. Start off the season getting uh, seven out of a possible nine points for the first three games. And it's we'll a crew episode, so we got two games to talk about. Yeah, that's right. We do. I have to remember what the other game is. It's the San Jose game in which we blew oh, a 3-1 right. lead. Oh, I thought you meant, yeah, I thought you meant we we're going to preview the next game. Oh, I was no, like, oh, no. Okay. I was talking about the one which <laughs> neighbor Eric wanted to kill himself. Man, neighbor Eric was super bummed when he found out about this format change, which if he you're if, if you're new to what yeah. we're doing here every other week on Boat and Beam, we thought for the next you know foreseeable future, we're going to go crew one week, world soccer stuff the next mm-hmm. week, back to crew the following week. So neighbor Eric last week was very frustrated that we weren't talking. Well, and it was funny because he told me too, when I pulled in the driveway, um, and he was out doing something in his yard and he was like, what's up with the new format, man? And I'm like, tell us it's, su- if you don't like it, yeah. please tweet us at bone beam United and yeah. tell us it sucks. You could follow us at bone and beam United too. And could just do that. do that anyway. But yeah. then yes, if you have a concern or if you really like this, let us know. Yeah. Uh, we are happy to take all feedback on that. Maybe he actually like yelled at me about it. <laughs> Like personally screamed in my face. Well, that's it. because, and, and I love neighbor Eric, but it sounds like is what I'm getting from this guy is if it's not the Columbus crew <laughs> specifically, right. he does not have time for it. And I appreciate that, but that may not be every soccer fan in Columbus. That's all. But if it is, then we'll change. We'll, we'll roll with the punches on that. Um, so we will talk a little bit more about Toronto and San Jose in a second. Um, but I guess well, let's let's kind of merge those two games a little bit, Beamer, okay. because one of the things that came out of all that mm-hmm. on a negative, and then we'll get to all the positive. Yep, negative bone. Here we go. Yep. Well, you brought it up. Yep. 
I know, I did. San Jose. I yelled at you on Twitter about it, and I'm sure people <laughs> thought that I was being mean to you. San Jose, you're up three to one. Yep. Got a man advantage on the road. Should be three points. And what happens? You give up not one, but two set-piece goals. Mm -hmm. And in large part, I feel like there was a bit of a letdown on the back four. I feel like there is a bit of a communication issue in the center back pairing. But I, it's one game, right? Yep. It's one game. You had a couple bad, you know, possessions. They're not possessions. Yeah. A couple bad A couple bad moments. That. Lapses in judgment. Yeah. Right. Just didn't. And then they capitalize. That's the other thing. You can have bad lapses in judgment, and then San Jose doesn't capitalize, and you go, wow, whew, we dodged a bullet. There were a couple of those in the Toronto game as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so then we start off the Toronto game, and Toronto gets on the board first, and what happened? It was a goal mm -hmm. off of not quite. I mean, it was a set piece, but it was the kind of not really. It yeah. was the aftermath of a set piece where the ball just didn't get cleared out. It stuck around in there. And I thought yet again, you had some miscommunication between your center backs. And I'm not really going to blame Jonathan Mensa for a lot of the communication issues because Jonathan Mensa has been here, done that. Mm -hmm. He had his own growing pains and, and curve that he had to find his way on before he got to where he is now in MLS. I think Milo Stegnik is is going through a little of that too. And so I said as much on Twitter right after the goal happened, I said center backs this season have, have you know, the pairing has left a lot to be desired. The communication is going to have to get cleaned up. I'm sure they will. It's a long season. Yep. Well, then, of course, Twitter just leaves that on your timeline. <laughs> and then, I see this after the game, yes. after, the, after the result is in the yes. bank. Yes, and people are like, how dare you? <laughs> Beamer's like, how dare you? And it's like, well, I posted it right after another, like, you had hey, the main last. Main lesson in this, never tweet. <laughs> never tweet. Never tweet anything. What would that have been, like 30 minutes of gameplay? Because you had the last 20 minutes, or, I mean, it wasn't even the last 20, but let's be generous. San Jose, the last 20 minutes of that game where the two goals happened. And then one was this goal, like, first, I don't know, 10 minutes? Am I wrong? Yeah, I think so. Seemed Something early. Like All right, whatever. I had a few beers. I wasn't exactly... <laughs> You know, paying attention the, to the, the time point of the is, yeah. So they did clean it up in the game. It got better even in that game, but we can still acknowledge it's a work in progress right now. Milos has a ways to go. I think as far as communicating with Mensa and how those guys are going to play things. And it's not just those two, right? Pedro Santos is mm -hmm. working himself in. He had a, you know, not great pass that kind of led to some of that, uh, trying to get the ball out of there. So I'm not going to put it all on Milos, but I think this, this defense has a little bit of time needed to come together and gel. Yeah, I think it was panic moment, and I don't know if the stadium felt that way. I mean, there was a lot of game left to get the result in the Toronto game. You just go back to that San Jose game, and you look at the last 10 minutes, I think that's fair to say we're very bad. Yeah, Obviously, right. you're a man up, and then you give up two goals, and there you go, and you're only walking away with the point instead of three. So I do think, like – you know, you put those final 10 minutes of the San Jose game in and then the first 15 minutes of the Toronto game, by the way, uh, Toronto scored in the 14th minute. So okay. take that as yeah. well. So the last 30 minutes that you had seen 35 minutes, however long it is, uh, the last 30 minutes that you had seen of this team, they had given up three goals and they had looked like poo defensively. I think that is very, very fair to say uh, on the other side of this, the flip side of this coin is that. Um, you know, let alone some of the defensive problems that you're having. And if you look at that in a bubble, what you said, right, you know, defensive, the center backs are going to have to get on the same page. You're going to have to have better communication. Uh, flip side of that is that then you held Toronto, even though you had some issues, um, <laughs> you had some glaring issues later on in the game, even though you did that bone, 
you know, you held them scoreless for another 75 minutes. Like, we're going to put that into the positive side of the bank here. Right, right, right. But if you do put that in the bubble, okay, this is what killed the crew last year, going back to the San Jose game. Because you were up, you had a result in the bank, you were feeling good about it, and then how many times did we see another team last year steal either a game winner at the death or steal a point away at the death? And so you immediately go back to that, say, well, if the crew would have been able to get a few more points last year, they would have been in the playoffs, it would have been great, they were one of the hottest teams going in. So I think we immediately reverted back to that fear. Again, there's a long way to go, but you saw that glimpse of the last 30 minutes that they played with that Toronto goal and then the last 10 minutes that San Jose game, you were starting to feel a little bit nervous. Right. And that's where I feel like, and that's the Milos stuff. What I was trying to say there more or less is it's going to take some time. Yeah. Remember like for those fans who weren't maybe paying attention back then, when, when Jonathan Mensa came here, he had a couple red cards. He was completely out of position. Look, look com- like, looked like a bust of a signing. Mm-hmm. Now the guy is your team captain and one of the best defenders in MLS every year. So the first year was extremely rocky for him to the point that I thought they may not bring him back. Yeah. And then they did. And he figured it out. He got better as the season went, but the narrative that season had already been written that he was just no good. And this was a terrible move. And why did we do this? Mm -hmm. But he actually played a lot better in the second half of that season and started to figure things out. All I'm saying is with Milos, I had more of the assumption of like, he's just going to come right in and, and, well, and look at what happened with another guy who we'll talk about in a second, Lucas Zellerion. He came into the league and pretty much almost instantly found some things to that he does really well. Yep. Right. And so it's unfair to compare every player to him because he is a special talent. Most players who have been playing, even at high levels in Europe, they come to MLS and there is just a it's different, a different it's a different game. It's, it's a yeah, different game. It's a different game. It's a different level. It's it's understanding the pace of this game, understanding the guys you're going against, figuring out their tendencies, learning that they I'm sure for some of it too, and I don't want to be I don't want to assume for Milos Degnik. I'm sure he puts in the work like a lot of these guys do, but I'm sure for some of these guys, it's like I played against Liverpool a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Now I'm playing against Toronto FC. Yeah. Woohoo. Or I'm playing against, you know, San Jose. Yeah. Even more to the point. Like I could see how you might look at some players and be like, all right, so this is a guy. He's supposedly good. I'm good. We'll be good. You know, and we'll be okay. I think maybe just even that, like continuing to learn the league and learn the guys and figure out the work rate you're going to have to put in over a period of time. That all takes a little bit of, for most guys, takes a little while to get that figured out. So I'm not panicking about it at all. And when Josh Williams gets healthy too, you're going to have, you know, three options there at center back that I think are all perfectly capable. And I have faith in Dagnick that he'll be good. Yeah, I, I do too. The The reason I'm not overly concerned about it, other than me committing to that's my guy for this year. And if I were to get any player Jersey, it would <laughs> be already said it after I, already, one game. I already committed to it yeah. uh, was in that first game is like, you saw what he could do in mm-hmm. the way that him and Jonathan Mensa, you know, controlled that back line. They did. Yeah. And so, we know at the end of the day, I mean, there's so many things that can happen in soccer. And if you lack for, you know, five minutes, there can be three goals scored on you, you know, like, so I think there needs to be, and again, I mean, this isn't a like, you know, crap on Milos, you know, episode of the podcast, but there needs to be that inherent sense of urgency. Like, Oh yeah, I might be playing against Toronto or San Jose or whatever. uh, But these guys are getting paid too. you know, going back to like that old adage, like, yes, there's a reason you're here. There's a reason they are there. They can score against you at any given time. So I'm not too worried about it. I thought, I think it was 
30, 35 minutes of bad play from the crew. Uh, but ultimately, I was I was thrilled to see them get back to winning ways in the Trillium Cup uh, this past weekend. Yeah, yeah, I was too. Um, and, and we'll talk as well about, you know, the early part of this schedule. It has been favorable for the crew, yeah. right? I mean, you yep. played Vancouver, who we don't think is going to be very good. Toronto, I don't think is very good. They're just kind of a mishmash of like, a few old guys and then a bunch of younger dudes and they're just kind of in between. They've got Pozuelo who is obviously talented, but I don't think a lot's going to be expected of Toronto this Get a year. Big chance this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. You play, yeah, you play New York and, mm-hmm. but I was looking, New York has played San Jose, yep. which the crew have played and beat them just yep. like, you know, the crew should have, uh, and they've played Toronto and beat them. So, and then they lost to Minnesota this week. So it, it's early, right. To figure out who the quality is in the league and to figure out that type of thing. But I think New York does prevent or present a little bit different challenge this weekend. And that's on the road too. So we'll see how the crew respond to that. One but, thing I will say uh, about the quality is that anytime Lucas Zellerion's on the pitch, you got yeah. a chance to win the game. Well, we need to get there because so Zellerion again hits, you know, the goal that <laughs> ties game back up. He has this, you know, monstrous shot from outside the 18 on a ball. That's just kind of rolling free. He it's it sets up perfectly for him. He gets to sprint onto it and yep. just blast that thing home. And the stat that blows my mind, Beamer, is of the twenty-two, I believe, goals he's now scored in MLS, fourteen of them are from outside the eighteen. That's pretty impressive. And obviously, a, a decent number of those are on set pieces, and which is kicks, also but, very impressive. Right, but it's he is just one. He's him. He is so talented let me let me ask you this question okay and honestly and we watch a lot of soccer whether it's european yeah you guys watch more mls than i do and i'm still trying to catch up but honestly between 19 and 25 yards yeah is lucas zellerian on your short list of players that you want standing in, in the world standing over a free kick yeah he is i mean i i think you can line him up with the best guys in europe and say if i need a goal out in this in this range, you know, like you said, about twenty five yards or into the eighteen, yeah. I'm I'm gonna look to him and on a free kick. Yes, I'm gonna say, yeah, I think you could drop him into a Champions League final. I think you could drop him into any game in the entire world, no matter the pressure. And I think that guy lives up. And to just it. say, I need you to take this free kick, and he would he'd go in there and have as good a shot as anyone has put it where it needs to go. Yep. I I don't think his quality on free kicks is at the level where it does not matter if you are going against a Champions League goaltender, yeah. an MLS goaltender, like does not matter. Like you're you're going to get one of the like world class performances out of him when it comes to shooting from that situation. Let alone what he does on the ball and off the ball. I mean, right. Then you've got his on the ball skill in MLS, which is he's as good as anyone on the ball in MLS mm-hmm. as far as getting around a guy and making the right play. Then on top of that he also can get you goals from the run of play where he just can make two guys fall over and shoot it. He had the one, you know, again this week where he's ripping it from mm-hmm. 20, 25 yards out, but running onto it. He is, he is one of the best goal scorers I've ever seen in MLS. And I've watched a lot of MLS uh, guys like Dwayne De Rosario, you know, back in the day, D row was one of these like lethal goal scorers kind of from anywhere. You had to watch out for him that's who he reminds. That's why different players like he's wrote, lurking. You cannot yeah. forget about him for a second. Well, and it's interesting too. I was thinking about this driving in today. Like the, the traditional, like the guys he reminds me of on the world stage from the standpoint of what he does outside of the 18 yard box or just how he can find a goal. 
I mean, the free kick specialists like Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Yeah. Well, even though he hasn't scored a free well, kick since his time in Juventus, but yes, yes, yes. But I'm saying from his right, I know his you. his career reputation in that way. Neymar, Messi, those guys over set pieces. Luka Modric, another yes, guy that comes yes. to mind. Those guys, yeah. Oh, Luka Modric, which he's by the way, tremendous. he's he's like 700 years old and he's still just ridiculous. I. So jealous. It's not a Champions League podcast. Can't talk about <laughs> All that. Right. Sorry, sorry. Neighbor Eric's going to come over and beat our ass for even bringing it up. All right, we're back. We're back away from the crew. All right. Anyway, no, but but guys like him, guys like Lewandowski, right? Yeah. Where they are, and I, I don't mean to put Lucas Zellerion in their class because I know I he's do. not. Okay. But I also acknowledge that having the best goal scorer on your team, a lot of times that guy is your nine. Yeah. Lucas is a 10. Like he on this team functions as a central attacking mid. He is not going to be that target forward guy or even, you know, depending on your formation. Like, yeah. Can he get onto a ball inside the box? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like he, I'm saying if you played him at a nine in a non-target situation where he doesn't, he could play the target nine too. It doesn't matter, but they, they need him to be a 10. They need him to set up other things. They need him to patrol the midfield. And he does. And that was one of the things that people were worried about when he came over from Mexico was, well, where he plays there, he does play a little more on the wing. He is not like tasked with creating everything. He's more finishing off great passes. And of course he had the outside the box stuff. He had the 18 yard stuff, like the, the, what am I trying to say? The, the set piece brilliance, mm-hmm. but the concern was, would he be able to create for others? And I think he's, he's shown the ability to do that. Maybe not as much as you would like from a 10 usually, but it, I'll take the I'll take him on the field. We'll, we'll take it. I'll take him on yeah. the field anytime. Um, as far as how he fits into like the crew history, as far as his goal scoring prowess, Neil Sika, our guy, mm-hmm. on the broadcast with Jordan Angeli, who they they do a great job. Uh, Neil said shades of Stern John. You know something. It brought up Stern John's name, talking about how he scored now in six straight games going back to last season. So he's still on that streak, which is impressive too. And that's that's Stern John esque for those who are too young to remember, because it was like 23, 24 years ago. Now Stern John came to Columbus and was this just wild talent out of nowhere that I, we'd never seen the likes of in Columbus We had Brian McBride, who was like steady yeah. Eddie and, and obviously a great goal scorer. Stern John had Wrecking the record. Ball. Well, he had the record for goals per 90 minutes was 0.8. Like pretty good. It was a ridiculous return. Yeah. He was insane. And then he was here for a couple of years, set all kinds of numbers and records for single season stuff. And then went on to Europe and played for many years in the championship. Uh, like I think he might've sniffed the premier league a little bit, but was playing for again, what MLS was in the late nineties, early two thousands yeah. to have a guy go from your team up to second division, English soccer. That was about as good as you were going to see. Uh, so that was, an extremely impressive goal scorer. That's where Zella Rayon factors in from a crew historical standpoint for me. Different, again, different players. Stern John was a, again, more of that hold up type of player mm-hmm. would get the ball in the box. You know, the, the stern turn is what they would call it. He'd get the ball with his back to goal and just turn his defender and fire it into the net. And it was, it was spectacular. Which one do you prefer the stern turn or the Cruyff turn? Oh, I'll take a stern turn every day. Yeah, Although the Cruyff <laughs> turn is obviously it's its own thing, right? So it's the stern turn, though. You were just yeah, explaining yeah. it. Yeah, but I think Zellerion has the potential. Well, not potential. I, I think, think Zellerion, he is, he is going to be in the circle of honor 
for the you know they're they're yeah. guys that are going to basically have their you know stuff retired even though you don't retire numbers he'll be there like already his career he's won an MLS Cup mm-hmm. he's been a Finals MVP he's going to probably get a league MVP nod at some point I think if he keeps playing like this he's going to be year. this year could be it right so I I think you already see how he is an all time great for this team but his actual in game how he impacts the game is as good as what Stern John was back in the day. Different levels of MLS, the game's changed quite a bit. He's obviously a much more talented player, I would say, in his current state. Mm-hmm. But what he did at that time, what Stern John was doing against that competition, that's what Zella Rayon's doing against the competition now in MLS, and that is extremely impressive. So I just I couldn't love him more. <laughs> I mean, I'm fawning well, over him and what he does. And he's remarkable. Anytime he touches the ball, anytime he gets a set piece, you feel like there is the most legitimate scoring threat of any 22 players in the field. Anytime Mm -hmm. he touches the ball. Yeah. And I don't care who, what team you're going against. Anytime he's touched the ball, there is a chance of a lightning strike. Yeah, there really is. Now he he's, he's phenomenal. And how about Derek Etienne too? Well, I was going to, I was going to get to that because so Zella Rayon is one that we've known all right, he's great, and we expect him to be great. He is brought here to be this guy. He's already proven it, right? Mm-hmm. But something that I think we leave off from time to time, we talk about, you know, MLS Cup that year, right? Yeah. We talk about how great, you know, Lucas was in that game, and he was tremendous. We talk about Aiden Morris's performance, mm-hmm. how great and he and our tour were in that game, right? Yep. But Derek Etienne was as good as anyone in that game, too. He had a, and I think a lot of us, or at least maybe I'm speaking for myself, I felt like, well, that was great. It might have been one of those had a nice night performances, sure. maybe not yep. like, or had a good playoffs like he did. You know, the times he would get a chance Got into to a nice end. run of form. Yeah. I think now we're starting to see that that may have been short-sighted for those of us who felt that way because you are seeing now a player who really took last year to heart and said, I know I can be better than that and has come out looking like, again, one of the best players in the league to start the season. He got a nod on the best 11. He got like an honorable mention this week. He he's going to be in the MLS best 11 a few times this year. If he keeps playing like this, he's, he's playing great right now. Yeah, he really is. It's great to see. And I know that we had, you know, a lot of questions about, okay, well, what's this wing play going to look like heading into the year? I know you signed y'all from Poland and he's off to a nice start as well. Um, but yeah, he's been, he's been tremendous and probably, I mean, I know we're only three games into the season, but surprise of the season, I think you can, for sure say that about him. I Yeah, I think, yeah, if I were to say early season surprise, it would be twofold. It would be that, like, the Etienne part of this where I just did not expect him to be this good yeah. This in this role. Not that I – I just – I had questions, right? And I think he's starting to answer a lot of those. The other one, I would say, is just the fact that Miguel Berry has started all three games. Yeah. Not that I'm against that necessarily. It's it was It's a surprise to see that from – I thought it was going to be just – him and Jossie or Jossie split in time. Yeah. I thought it would be like kind of a couple splits there. And then also maybe, you know, uh, earlier pulls for guys like, like maybe a 60th minute substitution for whoever gets the start, yeah. you know, and instead Miguel Barry has gotten all three starts, which is shocking to me, but and not, not in a bad way. I'm just surprised Caleb Porter was willing to go that route and we'll see what that means for Jossie. And we'll see if he gets his chance to, you know, come back in and continue to prove himself. He will. I mean, it's a long season. Uh, you yeah. know, we're only three games into it. Maybe it happens this week in New York. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. By the way, that game, 2 p.m. on Sunday uh, at New York Red Bulls. So 
I've been to Red Bull Arena before. It is a it's it's out in the middle of nowhere because it's in Harrison, New Jersey, and it's fine. Yeah, there's a there's a train station that stops there, and then you just have to walk like it would be like um, you know on Fifth Avenue where now they've knocked everything down and they're building stuff. But you remember how it was like old warehouses for a while there on Fifth Avenue between like the Short North and going over towards the airport. Yeah, that area like right where Zaftig's at. Yeah, like before all that kind of got built up more. Past 71, near 71 near by 70, the road, like between, the road building. Between, honestly, between where Zaftig is in Italian Village and then going over to 71. Okay. Like that yep. area where there's, they've knocked a lot of that down and now they're building new things mm-hmm. there. But that that is like what you were walking through. It's just a bunch of old warehouses, maybe current warehouses. I don't know. But you'd walk through that and then suddenly there's Red Bull Arena. But the stadium itself, if you ever go to a game there, very nice place to watch a game. It, it is it is a weird, it's got this like, it looks like fabric stretched all around it. Like it's got a weird outer texture of the stadium. I don't even know how to, Yeah, it does. It literally looks like the, the parachute you used to use in gym <laughs> class, but all like silver and they just stretched it over the outside. It's not, it's more durable than that. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's a cool venue to go watch a game. It's just not a lot to do around it. But yeah, so for anybody who's going, have a good time. How about this? Been to both both uh, crew home games this year, Bone. That's that's doing something. I didn't go this week. You went, the, you went to the coldest yeah. game yep. ever, in as far as we know, in Columbus crew history. It appears it was the coldest home game ever. Sat in the front row of the Nordeck, booed the hell out of Michael Bradley. Oh, did you? I did. Did you boo Michael Bradley? I did boo Michael Bradley. I was told we're not supposed to do that. that me too, by somebody. By somebody that we're going to talk to next we'll talk to pat murphy longtime crew fan covered the crew for many years from massive report writes for Bucknuts as well we will talk to him about his thoughts on michael bradley because he has a different opinion than we do so we'll discuss that in a friendly manner next you're listening to bone and beam united brought to you by zaftig italian village Welcome back to Bone and Beam United, brought to you by Zaftig Italian Village, the official soccer bar of Bone and Beam United, the official soccer bar of Brandon Beam. Yep. I believe one of the official soccer bars of our next guest, that is uh, Pat Murphy, who writes for, uh, you've seen him write for many years for Bucknuts. He has written for Massive Report, now the managing editor of MassiveReport.com, and a good friend of ours. Pat, what's up, man? Not much, not much. That title sounds way better than the actual job that i do with massive reports <laughs> what well the, uh, you you what is the what does the managing editor do you just yell at people yeah. all day what, what happens basically basically it's all online but uh yeah so basically this this off season i was looking to and i know i've talked to both of you about this but for people who haven't paid as much attention i was looking to take a little bit of a step back obviously the ohio state coverage doesn't ever stop um, I have a life outside of my job, and I hadn't been really a crew fan in since 2013, I think. So, uh, you know, my my girlfriend had talked about us going to more games together and things like that. Um, so, it coincided real well with Patrick Goldan also being really busy with life, and he was the managing editor who'd kind of overseen a lot of things from behind the curtain. And so I sort of stepped into his role, though. I'm doing it a little differently. I'm writing a little bit more than he is. He still attended games in the press box. I'll do that at some point. But, like, I went last week uh, with with some buddies, including Brandon Beam, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as a fan, which was a great, great time. And so, yeah, it's just um, – you know, a lot of uh, overseeing what people are thinking about idea-wise, uh, making sure we're not having two of the same articles up 
at the same time, hitting the publish button on them, those type of things. And then, you know, I'll occasionally chime in with, with my own articles. And when I have time, I'll still, you know, attend, uh, attend press conferences and probably attend some of the games in a coverage standpoint, but just doing things a little differently and letting some other guys kind of step into bigger roles with massive report. I just want to clarify when you said, I haven't been a crew fan since 2013. Cause I can see some people running with them and be like, Pat, Pat Murphy oh, says he yeah. hates the crew. And Damn it's like, no, 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 Pat. no. You mean you've been, you've, you've had to cover the team and you Correct. haven't had a chance to enjoy your fandom, which for people who don't know, if you go back and watch the 08 MLS cup and you see the, you know, Noron tour, one of the first ones <laughs> I've seen it. there in the stands is mm. young Pat Murphy hanging out and enjoying himself. So yes, you, for people who don't know your background, I, I assume most people would get that when you write for Bucknuts yeah. and for Massive Report. Well, you, you could like be like Timmy teams. Hall and show up to Buckeye interviews in an Ohio State sweatshirt. In you an could Ohio do that. State hoodie. Yeah, he did that the other day. <laughs> yeah, if you go back even further, the crew has a picture of me, and it's an embarrassing picture, so I don't even know why I'm saying this. Uh, a picture of me on the field when the crew first won the Supporters' Shield. It's the start of the next year, I believe, but they brought some people from what was then called V-Army, and mm-hmm. uh, then we had kind of a high school-aged group that we called the Legion. And uh, <laughs> I so remember the, the Legion. Supporters. I didn't know you were in the yeah. Legion. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, my buddy Nick and I got it going. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's a picture of me on the field with a couple of the V-Army guys and, like, the fan of the year that they'd announced and uh, my shorts are way too long, as is my hair. And, yeah, it pops up on Twitter every now and then. So yeah. there are definitely pictures of me uh, as a crew fan. Uh, yes, you're right. That, I should, I'm glad you clarified. No, I just – because I know that, and I I know how much you love watching this team, but I also – I don't know. See... You weren't, I mean, you weren't booing Michael Bradley on Saturday, so it didn't really – I mean, it did It did lead me to believe that you might not be a crew fan, Patrick. Well, that's, that's it. And that's why we had to bring you on because we have been arguing with you, like, for years – we've gone back and forth on Twitter about this. And I know like that we, we as humans enjoy these disagreements. You and I like to have discussions. We don't mind it when we disagree, but when you see it on Twitter and you see like T-Bone and Pat Murphy and Beamer, just like shooting 200 character messages back and forth at each other. <laughs> it's like, man, do these guys all hate each other? It's yes. like, no, not yes, at all. We like, well, I, yeah, I do hate Pat, but no, I'm sure. But I wouldn't blame if you hated me. I'm just saying like, but we're we're goofing around because yeah we have an opinion on this very this dumb thing that does it matters in some ways but in other ways it's completely pointless and that's why it's okay to have a different opinion on it because nothing happens other than we boo a guy or we don't boo a guy and life goes on so look if you are sitting at a bar with a buddy you are allowed to disagree on a sports topic or any topic really and you can still be friends and you're right Twitter doesn't lend itself to that type of conversation because you can't see the people and you know we could be having the same argument with our arms around each other and we buy a beer for each other and and it's all good so yeah no we do not hate each other we simply disagreed which is fine and you know my my stance on the whole bradley thing and i think it's kind of been twisted wasn't that like don't do it it was just i wanted to provide context because i feel like most people didn't and maybe they do now but didn't really know why like I went to the game a couple years ago when they were booing him and there were people next to me like why are they booing a national team guy and that's kind of where this all started and I was like I guess people probably don't know what he said if you're not a diehard fan and even if you are maybe you've never actually read the quote fully 
so you know that was what started this whole thing and now it's spun out of control and <laughs> i eventually had to just sign off twitter on, on saturday and, i don't even know what he said day. pat what what did michael bradley say i was just booing i was just following i was following the crowd <laughs> yeah well unfortunately your booing of him uh, i think made him play better because that was as good as i've seen well, michael he bradley lost he came time. away with a big fat l so he didn't he, play he that did great lose. Yeah, no, he he did play. He played better than I hoped he would play. I'll put it that way. But yeah, explain. I know the context, but for those who don't, go ahead and explain what like what this actually was. Sure. We obviously during the Save the Crew era, there was a lot of talk around the league about what should happen with this team, and Michael Bradley. And I believe if you go back and actually watch the interview, I think he was asked twice about it, and the first time kind of declined to say anything, and then was asked again. I could be wrong in that, but I'm pretty sure that was the context. But he was asked about the situation in Columbus, and I don't have the quote here in front of me, but more or less said that the, you know, he feels for the small group of, of diehard supporters, which I think he met the Nordic, and those people are obviously some of the best fans in the league, as we saw on, on Saturday. But that you know, he thought the team and the, the kind of club in general had fallen behind some of the rest of, of MLS, and specifically teams like Toronto at that point, which had really kind of elevated – to nicer stadiums and training facilities. And obviously that there is some context that needs to be provided. And that was pointed out to me on, on Saturday that Anthony Precourt did not always help that matter by not updating the stadium and things like that. So I agree. I agree with that, but I just think, you know, it wasn't like he came out and had a press conference to say, I think the crew should move to Texas. It was more <laughs> that he was just asked about the situation well, and gave what was an honest opinion. I think. Yeah. And that's I, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. And one thing that I do think got lost in the Bradley discussion was that point that he did not run out seeking a way to disparage crew fans. He was asked, as many players were throughout that time, like, right. you're playing the crew like like every reporter does. Right. You've done these press conferences a million times. How dare you guys opine for Michael Bradley? No, 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 no. Yeah, you kind of are. I'm trying yeah, to, I'm are. trying to, well, don't worry. I'm going to hammer him in a second. Like, <laughs> calm down. It's fine. Okay. No, but, but <laughs> you're making a good point, Pat, that Michael Bradley, like many, like whatever happens, right. It, it, you are going to, to this week, the Ohio state Buckeye basketball team, men's basketball team. They're playing Loyola. There's going to be someone asked about sister Jean, their super fan. Who's 102 years old. What like, Players are going to get asked that because it's like, what can we ask you about about the other team? What are things you might know about them? At that time, that was the thing that was known. Was the crew are moving? What do you think about it? And a lot of guys around the league either just said, ah, oh, yeah, it's a shame. You don't want to see that happen. Feel bad for those fans. Or they just didn't really say anything. Bradley, I feel like where he got in trouble was he started to kind of a little bit say, other than this small group of fans, the city hasn't really gotten behind this team. It's kind of the... That's what I felt like he was saying, whether it's not yeah. or not, that's what he meant. And that's where well, he wasn't lost that me. the case at that point. I mean, well, I don't, I think we all kind of felt that way, right? That, that whether it's Anthony Precourt, whether it was the city of Columbus, like there just hadn't been the backing for the crew and they're needed. And that's kind of what saved the crew did was get Columbus's attention that this, you know, and credit to those people that, that this team needed to stay. And there were supporters that were willing to do that. If, you know, they could get a stadium and they could get Columbus really behind the team. And again, Bradley could have handled it differently for sure, and he is a rival and all that. Well, but, and you and you know yeah. why, and you know why people react to that, not just because sure. it's like yeah, you yeah, took on it. our, you took on the hometown, or you took on the place where I now live. It's the fact that the same standard was not applied across the league, 
right? Fair. Like, like that's the problem is when Michael Bradley's like, hey, I got to tell you, Columbus really hasn't kept up with the times. Like, how about D.C. United? Like, yeah. like D.C. United had a lot more success on the field in their 15 years prior to, you know, save the crew and all that stuff for 20 years, whatever it was at that time. But if you looked at D.C. United at that time, too, they had been playing before that stadium, you know, finally got built. They were playing at RFK, which was falling apart. They had, other than Barra Brava, their big supporters group, they were lacking in attendance. You know, maybe not. It's a much bigger city, obviously. D.C. has a lot more people in it. But comparatively to that, percentage-wise, you know, we can say they didn't quite keep up with the standard either, but no one was looking to move them. And I feel like that's where people got bent out of shape with Bradley was, why not go after one of the main reasons that this is happening, which is pre-court? Why not just say that owner needs to really evaluate what he's doing? I don't think that's the right move. You know, if you're going to take on anyone, punch up, not punch down. I guess that's where I kind of came down on it. Yeah, and I agree. I think, you know, there were multiple teams you could have pointed to. I mean, the the Red Bulls, before they got the Red Bull sponsorship or owners, you know, and they're playing at the Meadowland. I mean, even New York City FC right now, you know, just won MLS Cup playing in Yankee Stadium with their tiny little banner. <laughs> um, with their Kinko's you know, card that they got yeah. printed up and the day before <laughs> right. the game. Jeez, that was how embarrassing, right? But you'll never, you will never hear Garber or anyone say a crossword about New York City fans don't come out like he does about crew fans, right? Like that's right. that's where I think the attitude comes from from a lot of crew fans is none of the league types who bring up, well, if the crew would cover this, if the Columbus would pay more attention, maybe it gets, you know, all that stuff that comes up from Garber all the time and guys like Bradley when he said this, it's not said about New York City FC, even though you can make the same argument. And and it's 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 a frustrating thing. And I think you you know that as well as anyone. I'm not telling you yes. anything, but I think that's where people got bent out of shape with Bradley. Yeah, understandable. And uh, you know, I think that the if anything, my continuing bringing this up has only made more people boo him. So it's actually <laughs> probably worked out in everyone's favor. It was pretty good. I think actually at a point in the stadium, people were booing, booing you as well. Uh, I mean, I was sitting <laughs> no right doubt. next to you, and I felt like I was going to get a battery thrown at my head. Uh, you were kind of on the most wanted list there. But other than that, Pat, we were sitting there. We were drinking a few beers in the Nordak. We were having a great time watching the game. Um, it was, uh, it, first of all, it's a two-part question. Did Manchester Joe make it home okay? Uh, and what was your main takeaway from watching this team in person? Uh, Manchester Joe is still, his whereabouts are still unknown because he has a flip phone and only can text so many times a month. So I hope we'll find out today if he shows up to Zaftig. I do too. Uh, so quick aside, if, if you don't know Manchester Joe, I've told Bone about this person. Uh, there is a person who does come and watch the Manchester United games at Zaftig Italian Village. We indoctrinated him. He just he just moved from Manchester, England to Columbus. He lives right across the street from Zaftig and was like, oh, where's the Manchester United supporters bar? bar. Saw the flag in the window, came over. We indoctrinated to him, him to Columbus soccer. Okay. All right. So we went we we went to the Death Star, to the LDC, whatever you want to call it. It was great. I lost Pat in the frenzy because they wanted to make sure that Manchester Joe made kickoff with all the fanfare surrounding it. We get to the game. Everything's great. And then we're having a drink in the pub afterwards, probably 30, 45 minutes afterwards, and nobody knows where Manchester Joe is. And so to this day, uh, four or five days later, <laughs> 
we still don't know where he is. So you're right. I hope I hope he sh- I hope he shows up today because apparently he walked home. That was his game plan. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's not a drinker, and he had something to do Saturday evening, so he had to get home. And so yeah, he took off right after the game. He did say I did get to say bye, but it was like from afar, and I waved. So hopefully. Hopefully all all ended well walking on the Columbus Was he being grabbed by like seven people and thrown into a van? I just want to make sure it's not like a situation where it's like, bye. And he's just like, you don't know what happened. Like, hopefully Manchester Joe is all right. Well, no, I think think he's just walking away. Uh, Just finding his way to to Summit Street to make a left is what we told him. Just go to Summit. (laughs) Uh, But to your second question about the takeaway from the crew, uh, and this is something I actually wrote about in our What We Learned. I just really like the mentality of this team. Um, and I know it's only three games, so it's hard to make like sweeping generalizations. That's about what them, you're here but... for. That's what we're paying you to do. That's all we're doing. All right. Well, then then I will. Um, but two weeks ago, they go down 1-0 on the road. They're able to come back. Now they gave up two goals, obviously, and the set pieces are certainly a problem. But this is a team that last year on the road couldn't do anything like that, build a two-goal lead. And then this week, you could have crumpled again after you go down early. Instead, they, they kept control of the game, fought back. It wasn't their best performance by far, and, and Caleb Porter talked after the game about how Toronto surprised them with the formation they came out with and the three guys they were playing, including Michael Bradley, as center backs, and they had to adjust to that at halftime, and I thought the second half was much better. But just the mentality to not get rattled. You know, you're, you're playing in front of your home fans. Let's, let's keep the composure here. We'll find the goal eventually. This offense has been ridiculous so far this season, led by Lucas Zellerayan, and Lo and behold, Lucas Zellerian scores the goal, and Derek Etienne, who's been good too, scores the second. And so, you know, you, you mentally stayed in the game. You get another three points, and I thought that was huge. Um, just to cover something that we talked about earlier in the podcast, but I'll get your thoughts on it before we let you go. Uh, center back pairing right now, I, I feel like a lot of the issues that are happening on this, you know, defensive back four are in part because you have new pieces there, not just those, not just Milos working in with Mensa. But do you see similarities between Mensa and Milos? Like from the standpoint of when Jonathan Mensa came to MLS, he struggled a little bit. And not that Milos is struggling that bad, but maybe just some of that taking some time to get used to the league and some acclimating and some of that. Do you, do you see a little bit or, or am I off base? No, I think you're spot on. We actually were doing the Mass Report podcast and uh, we had the same conversation that it's taking him a, a minute to adjust. I thought he was really good the first game against Vancouver, but there wasn't a lot of pressure. San Jose, a little bit more difficult to tell on TV, but obviously they give up two set-piece goals late. He draws the, he gives up the penalty kick early. But, yeah, I didn't think he was – and this was my first time seeing him in person. I wasn't at the home opener. I didn't think he was great in terms of positioning, did a lot of ball watching on, uh, on Saturday against Toronto. And I do think it's it's a little bit of learning this league, getting accustomed to who you're playing with, where they're going to be alongside Jonathan Mensa. And I also I think it's important to point out he's played a lot of, of soccer recently. He's played with the national team. He was mm-hmm. playing in Russia. So it's not like he's coming off a, a fully fresh offseason. He's, he's kind of stepping in, and, and that should help in terms of fitness and things like that. But, you know, you didn't get that mental break that a lot of guys normally get. You see that sometimes guys coming off, coming off a World Cup – you know, international tournaments in the summer, they just didn't, you know, you need time to get away from soccer and, you know, maybe he, he's still just kind of settling in with, with everything there kind of included. 
Yeah, I mean, Harry Maguire's done that for like the past four years at United, so that's good. Um, <laughs> hey, good neighbor, Eric, neighbor Eric is going to come scream yeah, at us because you mentioned some, MLS that's a lot of Manchester Sorry, talk all do, of a sudden. Can't do Europe, can't talk about that this episode. Um, so you mentioned the offense, and it's been great. Lucas L. around has been stunning. If I were to say to you, I asked Bone the same question a bit earlier. From anywhere from just outside the 18 to 25 yards, Pat, is Lucas Zellerion making your short list of most dangerous free kick takers on the world stage right now? Because it seems like anytime he gets that opportunity, it's damn near a goal or it's put in the back of the net. Definitely. And I mean, it doesn't even need to be a free kick. Yeah. I think what he's, he's got four goals. Three of them are from outside the box and only one's a free kick. But, uh, you know, Saturday in the first half, he lines that one up. And I think everyone in the Nordic was like, well, let's get ready to celebrate this yep. is the goal. And, you know, weirdly enough, it just goes wide. So, he made up for it in the second half, though. That that shot that he had, you know, kind of the, the ball rolling out there and just the defender closing him down, hitting it like that, keeping it low right in the bottom corner. I mean, you, you can't hit a ball any better than that. And, you know, he's playing at another level right now. And, you know, he's been good his entire time with the crew. But, but this is ridiculous. And it carries over from last year. He was scoring, assisting with regularity to end the season when the crew kind of tried to make a push to get into the playoffs. So, you know, this, this guy's, this, he's unreal. And, uh, you know, sometimes teams spend money that, that doesn't work out. This was as good of a buy as you could get, especially for a new ownership group, you know, new, new staff in the front office. And they hit the nail on the head with Lucas for sure. Yeah, they really have. Uh, before we let you go, what are you guys working on a master report? What are some things to look for this week? Yeah, we're, uh, we'll have something up here shortly. Um, it'll be up by the time this podcast goes out, I imagine on uh, why the crew shouldn't trade Giassi Zardes. One of our guys, one of our new guys actually um, wrote a real good piece on that after the report last night from Tom Bogart that the team is exploring options. I heard from a couple people that maybe that's not entirely the, the way the situation is being handled, but we'll, we'll see on that. But yeah, just you know, kind of looking at what Giassi gives the crew, even if Miguel Berry continues to play well, you know, what, why, why not move on from him? You know, the, the, the stuff he gives you maybe off the field is just as important as what he gives you on the field. And, uh, you know, kind of looking at that. So we've got that. We've got some more stuff from, from the game this weekend that we'll have out over the next day or so. And then it's on to the Red Bulls. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine trading away a World Cup starter like Jossie Zardes. Is I mean, I'm, be I follow a bunch of U.S. men's national team accounts that say he's the worst player in the entire world. So I don't know. I mean, do well, I follow no, them or you you've guys? Got, you've got worst player in the world from the U.S. national team guys. And then you've got Greg Berhalter who's like, I think he's my guy. Like, <laughs> always and forever, no matter what. It's and like you, somewhere in between might be the actual truth with Jossie Zardes. But. And you know who makes the decision on that? It's not the people on Twitter. I'm just... It, yeah, it is. I hey, know. I right? said earlier in the show before we had you on, just never tweet. Just don't do it. Yeah. Just yeah. don't do it. It's a bad idea. It always is. Pat, we appreciate you coming on, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. I look forward to future Twitter arguments. Oh, yeah. Maybe an in-person argument at Zaftig Italian Village. I look forward to having a beer with you in six hours, Pat. Maybe earlier than that, depending on my day. Yeah, well, someone's going to be listening to this on Friday and be like, why are, what are they doing? Why are they going to, <laughs> I thought Beamer was in a different city. Okay. Whatever. All right, Pat, we'll see you later, man. Take care. All right. Sounds good guys. Thanks. That's it for master or for mass report. Woof. That's back to my old day. That's it for the Pona Beam United podcast. We will talk to you guys next week till then take care and uh, enjoy the soccer. See you later.